Well, hello once again. Uh, if you did this intentionally or otherwise, you have downloaded the Witch Car Weekly podcast, the show that looks back at the Motoring Week in review and gathers together some of the greatest minds from the world of automotive journalism and assembles them in a small, hot studio to discuss some of the most notable things that we probably didn't get round to writing about or presenting things about on uh, many, many channels, whether that be Witch Car Television on Channel 10, whether it be our website or the respective magazines. You now listen to 30 minutes of me, Daniel Gardner. But as is typical, I'm, I'm not doing this by myself. I invite uh, my dearest friends and regulars. This week is a bit of a bit of a getting the old band back together because I'm joined by... Uh, Andy Enright, Wheels Magazine Deputy Editor. Hello. If you could, that's great. If you could make some kind of sound that suggests I'm not here by myself, that's most effective. And to his left is uh, Motor Magazine Associate Editor Scott Newman. Bonza. Now then, the first question I put to you two gentlemen, what is the difference between Deputy Editor and Associate Editor? Because I've been introducing you as those things for weeks and I still don't know if there's any difference. Is there? Well, Andy is... Alex's deputy, and I'm in Dylan's associate. I'm a large number two. On today's show, Scotty's been wearing the wildlife in a Ford Ranger Raptor. Holden might have another nail in its coffin. Uh, we reveal why no one likes Andy, and I'm going to be boring everyone to death by talking about an engine. But before that... What a sales pitch. It was good, that wasn't it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm quite happy with the way that yeah. one went. Uh, before we talk about any of those things, though, I want... You asked me, Scott, you wanted just yes. 30 seconds is all you asked. I'm not going to be timing, but that's... OK, that's all you're going to get. Because you weren't here last week, uh, but you did want to chime in because we mentioned last week that Honda had turned 50 uh, in Australia and was celebrating with some gold cards. What did you want to say about that exactly? So, absolutely, a uh, very entertaining segment last week about uh, Honda turning 50. But as I was listening to it, I had all these thoughts percolating, so... No one mentioned the DC2 Integra, which may be a bit sad, because that's a wicked car. Um, and a few people were talking about the S2000's wayward rear end. And I can say that Motor Magazine used to do top speed runs at Avalon Airport. And yeah. the S2000 held the dubious honour of being the only car that was ever spun coming onto the uh, <laughs> onto the <laughs> runway. <laughs> thanks really? to it. Thanks because you had to come onto the runway at maximum possible speed to get yeah. the highest number and one day someone got bitten by an S2000 and it did some pirouettes and finally on the CRX which was a great choice um, Dan but um, Luke Longley Australian basketballer won some NBA championships with Michael Jordan his first car was a CRX and you think well who cares but Luke Longley is 7 feet 2 tall so this ginormous right. man used to wedge himself into a CRX and hoon around the back streets of uh, Perth, which would have been quite a sight seeing him unfold himself. Would have been like Hightower yeah, in yeah. Police Academy. <laughs> I was so. going to say, did you just take the front seat and just sit in the back? Yeah, you must have. So I just wanted to add um, five seconds of, uh, yeah, Honda news. Uh, so. Do you know, I like that very much because, of course, we did miss you last week. Oh, thank Hopefully you. Hopefully a little bit later you you're going to tell us exactly what you were getting up to. Absolutely. But, um, but it's also nice that you listen to your own show. So thank yes. you very much, Scott. Yes. All right, now before we get into the meaty topics of goings-on potentially with Holden and a little bit later we're talking about your Raptor antics and Dan's really dull story about a Jaguar It won't be dull, engine. it'll be fantastic. Well, I hope so. We'd like to just talk a little bit about a news item that popped up this week about the APEC conference that was held in PNG. Andy, what's going on there? Well, the APEC is the Asia-Pacific Economic Corporation and it's um, a summit of hugely dull world leaders who get around <laughs> and, and they don't really do anything. It's a junket that's held around the, the Asia-Pacific region. Um, for the first time ever, there was a com no communique at all at the end of this one, um, so they didn't agree on anything. But the most interesting thing about the APEC summit was that they ordered a whole bunch of cars beforehand 
including uh, 40 brand new Maserati Quattroportes. That they, oh, wow. They hired two jumbo jets to fly them into um, oh. the poverty-stricken PNG. Oh. Three Bentley Continental Flying Spurs. <gasps> That's not very Kyoto summer, summer no, is it? No, it's not. And a whole host of Land Cruisers and Mitsubishi Pajeros. Did now, you just say a Bentley Continental Flying Spur? Three of them, yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, the four-door sedan. one. It's the sedan, a- yeah. Do they actually but, call it a Continental Flying Spur? Yes. Yeah. I did not know that. I thought the Continental was just a coupe and the convertible. Every day is a school day, Dan. <laughs> Mate, you learn something from this show every week, don't yeah. you? But the key me. thing is, around this, most of these cars have gone missing. Of course <laughs> they have. No, nobody, oh, know, nobody knows where they are. Um, they've managed to recover the Bentleys and the Maseratis, but it's anyone's guess where these Land Cruisers and Pajeros have vanished off to. Um, I read a small segment about that. It seems that... Um, a number of public servants have been driving their own and conveniently forgot to give them back. So, oh, so serving the public in the best possible way. They are. They, well, that's fair enough, because if they're going to fly these cars in, someone might as well use them. What was supposed to happen to them? Oh, I suppose they get flown back. To where? I mean, like, what? The manufacturers? I'm not sure. No, so they, they're just they, they claimed They claimed originally that they were going to dispose of them privately, and that was the cheapest way to provide all these cars for the dignitaries, None of whom who drove around in these cars. In a, in any case, they had armoured vehicles. Um, Mike Pence, that that guy who the vice president of the US, who looks mm-hmm. like C three PO wrapped in bacon. He, um, <laughs> he didn't even stay in the PNG. He was flying backwards and forwards to Cairns. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so geez. it was a huge, huge con. Um, wow. And it's kind of come back and bitten them in the behind a bit. God. So. Are they ever going to hold anything of any importance in PNG ever again? I don't think so. Probably no, not. No. Unless, of course, they can find these um, cars that are currently still at large. It's funny like, you say about um, missing Land Cruisers, though. I had a story once on a... So, for people who are listening, Car Launch is basically a manufacturer who will ship a whole bunch of cars somewhere and media will then fly in and drive them. Um, Toyota likes to do this in the Outback. Hiluxes, Land Cruisers, Pratos, etc. Makes sense. So, they held a Land Cruiser launch in the Outback. And a person who I won't name was on that launch who lived out there. He was kind of a local helping out with the launch. You should name him. No, I won't name him Um, or her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And he was on this launch that I was on. And he said that uh, Toyota all packed up and flew out and they left him with a car. And they just never bothered to ask for it back. So he kept it. Well, maybe that's the principle that all these people are, are operating on. Is that they just, well, that's the way it's always been done before. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a million-dollar Bentley. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, so... Yes, yes, that's what we hope with many of the press cars that we get lent in the office. <laughs> yeah. That they never that's get right. back. That's right. Um, so on the subject, you know, have you, have either of you ever lost a car? Andy, you always have preposterous stories I, about these I, things. I, <laughs> that's I so actually true. did park a car once outside um, my, my flat in London, um... And the problem with that, the, the parking situation wasn't very good and you could sometimes had to park three streets away. And I got up in the morning and I genuinely couldn't remember what I drove home the night oh, before. Oh, it was, oh it, first world motoring oh, journal's problems. Totally. Was it the McLaren or the Ferrari or the Rails? I can't remember. <laughs> no, it was something like a Deu Nubira or something. Something eminently forgettable. Oh, I forgot about my Deu Nubira. So, right? said everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I couldn't remember which vehicle it was. Um, it was dark at the time. I, I'm using that as an excuse. Yeah. But... um. <laughs> Yeah, I had to walk up and down rows and rows of cars with, with my with the, with the yes, yeah, try, yeah, okay. trying so to open one. I lose a car every time I go to the airport because I go and park in long term. And I can, yeah, well, that's understandable. I can never remember. And my girlfriend drives my girlfriend mad because I usually ring her and go, I've lost my car. There's a little man, actually, who 
drives around. Is he actually a little man, or is he a normal-sized man that you're sort of belittling because of his role? Like, no, him, no, he's like quite small. Oh, okay, he's actually just a small he man. He drives around right? in a ute, and, um, yeah, he basically, that's his role. He, I think he's there for security as well, but he will pick you up and go, ring the ring the people and go, where is this car? And they will drive you to it, which I've used on numerous occasions. That's car a really good service. Yeah. dwarf. I, um, amazing. <laughs> I lost a Fiat Fremont in Ikea car park once. <laughs> Because you came back and it was all you wanted bits. You had to, to build it again. <laughs> no, it's because and I didn't think about this before. Um, all the, the the car park, just like the the um, airport car park, is basically featureless. There's nothing mm. to remind you whereabouts you were, other than Fremont. other than this very helpful system of like a you know a code. So you go, I'm in C four. Yeah, but. The, I can't remember numbers and letters. No. You know, so all I need is a landmark. So, and the other way of remembering where your car is if it's a memorable car. Well, a grey Fiat Fremont, Fiat Fremont, is basically like every other car. IKEA car yeah. park on a, on a weekend is full of grey SUVs. Yes. And that's exactly what I had. And so it took me a good 30 minutes to find... And the way you do it is you just walk yeah. around pressing the... Imagine the, how lost we would have been before uh, keyless entry. Yeah, totally. Has, and on, on a quick aside, has anyone tried the thing where you put it up to your head and you double the range? Just, I just think that's right. Yeah. It does, it works. Under yeah, the but, chin, it yeah, does no, seem to work. The, one, yeah. the reason that works, and you don't need to be a scientist to realise this, is holding a radio transmitter higher in the air makes it go further. No, but if you hold it high, it doesn't work, and then you no. put it to your head. No, rubbish. Are you trying to tell me that you have some kind of amazing superhuman ability that allows you to broadcast radio frequencies further and more powerfully because you've got a special brain? I don't think so. Next. Maybe. It's my mandible. <laughs> Holden, it appears, is in a little bit of trouble. Now, these are only rumours at this stage, mm. but look, it's Where no... Where smoke, there's fire. Well, yes, precisely. Now, it's no secret their sales are not fabulous. In fact, they're an all-time low, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are always theories uh, blowing around about what's happening with them and their fate. There is a rumour circulating, and I have to say that there's no official word on this at all at the moment, but um, British importer Inchcape... Uh, is looking like they might be the new owner of the Holden thing? How could this be? It's very murky. Do you know about this, Andy? Do you want to kind of unpack this, or shall I have a go? You can have a crack at that one. Oh, okay, I'll have a go. <laughs> it's kind of murky. So Holden is currently to make its own cars anymore. It imports all its cars, and it's a bit murky because the cars it sourced from, the, the Commodore and the Astra, are now owned by PSA Group, so Peugeot Citroën. And Peugeot Citroën is imported into Australia by Inchcape. So you can kind of see where the dots are forming here. Mm. Um, but then it would leave Holden in an even murkier situation because it would import some of its cars from GM, but then it would lose a couple of its models, which would then be rebranded. Like, it's kind of clear as mud at the moment yeah, as to it's... how it would actually work and what it would mean for the brand. But it's it's kind of not good. Like I've had to think about this. It kind of works on one level. Inchcape would get more volume, so it works for Inchcape because they would... Yeah. You know, they would get uh, sell a lot more cars, and on the one hand, Holden would then be left with kind of SUVs, SUVs and pickup trucks, which mm. kind of works because that's what people are buying. The Commodore and Astra are struggling, but then I don't know if you if you lose two of your biggest selling models, is that a bonus? I I don't know how it all works to be honest. It's it is a profoundly complex uh, idea if there is any truth to it at all. At the moment, both parties, Inchcape and Holden, are are giving not a lot of feedback. There's nothing official on it at the moment um, to add to the story. But where this theory comes from is this continual argument that GM is not interested in Holden in Australia anymore. And it's just looking to get rid of it, just to wash its hands of this thing that doesn't really do much for it in a global perspective. And that's the bit which does sort of make the most sense. What doesn't make sense to me is 
Holden has a new leader, Dave Butner, who has you know done wonderful things for Toyota over the years when he was CEO there, um, and now he's come to Holden. And I just don't, I just can't believe that he would have taken the helm if he saw any kind of glimpse of this on the horizon. You could argue that he had no way of if there is any th- truth to the theory, mm. but I just don't see him um, coming to the company it if there's any truth in it. It, boss, is, it is an interesting one um, because it would make Inchcape the second biggest importer into Australia after Toyota. Just Last year's figures, Holden and Subaru alone equal the second biggest importer at the moment, Mazda. So it would make them a real power player. But Although the question is whether would you sell as many insignias and Astras as you would Commodore and Astras? You you may, but I mean, Opal's last experiment well, yeah. in Australia didn't exactly flush it with success. So. No, it was, well, let's let's be frank and say it was a catastrophic failure it that was, lasted less than 12 months, pretty much. You, look, you look at Holden sales at the moment, and they're, they're very low. It's likely that within a couple of months, the entire Holden range will be outsold by the Toyota Hilux. Alone. I mean, it's, it's tricky, wow. isn't it? Like, essentially, GM getting out of Europe stuffed Holden because it set up these deals to get Astra and Commodore, and then it doesn't, it has to, GM has to buy the cars off PSA and then ship them to Holden. So it's a weird arrangement. You can be absolutely certain, whatever happens, and as soon as we get any official word on this, if there is any official word to give, you'll hear about it all here on Which Car Weekly. Coming up a little bit later, we're talking about a new engine from Jaguar slash Land Rover, and we will also be talking about Andy's new long-termer, possibly, if we get time. I hope not. Uh, But before that, we are going to go to Scotty. Um, But before that... We want to just mention the Witch Car television series, which is going really, really well. We're up to episode six. If you haven't caught it on uh, Channel 10, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons, then I implore you, you should, because it's actually going quite well. You can I watch mean, it on 10 Play as well. You can watch it on 10 Play if you are one of these people who don't like to sit down in front of the television at an allotted time. And I can sympathise with that, those people, absolutely. You know, you all have very busy lives in there. You probably have, you know, families and friends and things that motor journalists don't. So get get, get, on, to, get on to Channel 10, watch Witch Car, uh, and it's episode six. Some exciting things coming up this week this week is four by four of the year it is so that will be starring dan gardner well, starring is probably let's just go for moon super starring maybe. um we'll build up to that yeah the only person without a beard in in that segment yeah true life. oh i can't wait to tell you all about it actually but we'll talk more about we'll that. To that yeah 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 scott yes yeah, speaking you were, of four by fours good segue mm, thank you i didn't do it you did thank oh, well. you good segue um, scott you were notably absent last week i was why while you guys were recording Witch Car Weekly last week, I was wending my way north to a place called Wedderburn, about three hours north of Victoria, to film a TV segment with the Ford Ranger Raptor. Right. Now, the Ford Ranger Raptor is the motor journalist's gift that keeps on giving because you just can't stop writing about it. You know, there's all there's innumerable um, comparisons. There yes. are plenty of performance tests. There are day-to-day trials. There are extreme off-road. To, which one of the many billion things that you can do with a Raptor did you choose to this time? Well, coming from a motor angle, a performance car angle, we want to look at it. So we did a magazine feature about it and the readers weren't particularly fond of it, but we had a great time doing it. <laughs> and the question was, can it's, a, it's an official Ford performance product. It's claimed to be a performance product. So our question is, can you have fun in a diesel ute? Because it's a slow car. It is really, really slow. And very heavy, isn't it? And very, very heavy. So you think, why has Ford put this performance badge on this thing? So the, the point of the TV segment, which is coming up, will be, can you have fun in a diesel ute? And to do that, we went to a little private rally track in the middle of nowhere, basically, and hooned around, and yeah. 
You would rally a shopping trolley if you could, wouldn't oh, you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it is just... You... That's the best thing about shopping. You can you have to get up the Scando flick to go between the aisles because they don't turn very well. So you really got to get the weight shifting. Um, Did anything fall off the Raptor? You are jumping it around, I guess? Uh, no, the vehicle terrain management system died at one point. One point. Oh, really? But Did it, it ever come back again? Yeah, we just control-alt-deleted. You just Great. turned the car off for a bit yeah. came back. Um, it just wouldn't let me change the ESP modes or the drive modes, but it was fine apart from that. They're, they're amazingly tough things. Like... And that's why we could do it. You couldn't really do it with any other car because you'd you'd sm- even you'd blow tires, you'd run out of brakes, you'd smash a suspension arm. But it's an incredibly capable, incredibly tough vehicle. Um, it's been designed effectively for doing what you did. It's yeah, exactly in its various drive modes. It's got a Baja mode, yep. um, which suggests you should go dune racing in it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I effectively well, I haven't raced it, but I have driven it in exactly that environment, and I cannot. To overstate how immensely capable it is in that environment. Gonna, you you uh, look at a, a, a terrain that you, is genuinely difficult to walk across, and it just yeah. just eats it for breakfast. Absolutely, Absolutely. more Absolutely. or less competent than an AU Falcon Four. Nothing, condition. nothing can no, can no upstage an AU okay, Falcon. Okay. It can't self heal like an AU. Second best. Um, but I mean, the the thing is, the Ranger Raptor is like it's actually probably the car I'd buy at the moment if I needed a vehicle it can tow. It's entertaining to drive still in its environment, you know. Um, it's practical, it's you know pretty economical. It's I just wish it had a better engine, but that's a topic for probably another day. Well, we can touch on that briefly yeah. now, I guess. I mean, yeah, so it's got a it's got a two litre diesel, um, which sounds highly diminutive. Mm. Uh it is small, especially when you look at the the size and the weight of the car as you mentioned before. But it does pump out an awful lot of torque. It's like five hundred newton meters, isn't it? It does, but it's got this ten speed gearbox and it you work so hard to keep it in its like five hundred RPM power band. Yeah. It's like we ran the numbers on it for the comparison we did, and it did 10.5 seconds to 100 k's an hour. So and basically, it, it didn't get there. Yeah, we needed to calculate. It was like a 17 and a half second quarter mile, um, which is yeah, using a sundial. Um, <laughs> we had to. I had to go a long way back into the archives to find um, a car motor tested that was that slow. And, and what it, was it? Well, I sort of, I got to the base. The base model <laughs> Suzuki Swift from 2005, oh, wow. and that was still quicker. Which, oh, strangely, coming full circle, is a car you can carry around in the back of the Raptor. Yeah, absolutely. Or drive over. Yeah. I yeah. found out a very depressing thing this week, and it's that Ford's new 7.3 V8 that they're building in Windsor mm-hmm. does not fit into the front end of a Ford Ranger. <laughs> but it does fit in the back. But a Miami V8 does. A Miami V8. Yeah, well, there is the a mob in Queensland that are yes. developing that conversion right now, aren't they? But for me, it doesn't need a petrol. I think everyone goes, oh, it should have the twin-turbo EcoBoost V6. And I don't think it should because it would ruin the car because it wouldn't have the tyre, it wouldn't have the brakes, it wouldn't have the chassis to control that amount of power. Like, it would stuff up the car. For me... I. I dream of that car with like the Amarox 190 oh, kilowatt or the SQ5 engine. Absolutely. Sounds yeah, yeah. great. It's a diesel yeah. that sounds great, goes hard, 700 Newton meters. You can still tow with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the people saying it needs a V8, but no, because then you've had this high vehicle that's really heavy, hasn't got any tire grip. You'd end up wobbling around like crazy yes. in it. So yeah, yeah. just give it a proper diesel Ford. And you've driven this guy. I'm right in saying that you've had the car on track at some point, haven't you? Uh, we used it as a. Um, support car at Bacotti yeah. and it sort of rolled 
comically around. Yeah, now if you put yeah. a, a half-decent performance engine in that, then people will be inclined to do exactly that with it yes. and then completely shut it down for yeah. being hopeless. Exactly. So by putting a diesel engine in it, it's kind of implying where its real sweet spot is, where yeah. its natural habitat is. And I think that's a real wise thing to do. And it also brings into to question the whole subject of development cost. Um, Ford spent an enormous amount of money giving, giving it a really, really good suspension system. Mm. If you wanted to give it a really good engine as well, it definitely wouldn't be under $100,000. And people then would poo-poo it for being a really expensive car that is, yeah. you know, so you, you, damned if you do, damned if you yeah. don't. It's really good first effort. It's lots of fun to drive. Hopefully the next one has a proper V6 diesel. Uh, oh, is there any question of that? Uh, What's Ford got in its range? Has it got has it got a V6 diesel? I don't think it has, is it? Uh, I don't think it has, but then there's the next Well, don't range. get me all excited like that then. No, well, the next Ranger will be an Amarok, won't it? Oh, of course it will. And then Hakuna Matata. Yes. Yep. So they might so, share. Hmm. We'll see, won't we? And talking of six great six-cylinder engines. Oh, oh another killer right. segue. Oh, you're too kind. I mean, that was me. I was just, you know, I was just testing the water. And if you guys didn't seem interested, but seeming as you basically invited me now, Andy, I would love to talk about Jaguar's new engine. Okay, so this is something that just came out yesterday late. Um, while BMW has been building straight six engines and has stuck to its guns since effectively the beginning of all time. Shortly after the Big Bang, there were there was matter in the universe and a BMW straight six engine. That's just how long they have been in circulation. Um, Mercedes used to have straight six engines, and then they went to V6s for packaging purposes. Then they've recently gone back. Um, and taking you back in time to a year called 2014, uh, Jaguar Land Rover built a factory called uh, in Wolverhampton, and it was to build a family of engines called Ingenium. The first two engines that came out of that were a four-cylinder diesel and a four-cylinder petrol, albeit very capable and impressive uh, on paper. They weren't particularly charismatic. However, there is now a third engine in the Ingenium family. So is it a modular engine? Uh, yes, it is. They, okay. they have this flexible manufacturing yeah. process. So basically, like BMW, they just take the 2-litre 4 and they whack another couple of cylinders on the, on the end. So let me just run the maths a second. Uh, so it's 2 litres. Don't forget to carry the 7. Yeah, we can put on two. There's two more. Help me out here, guys. Two more cylinders. So three litres. It's three litres. Oh, good. Okay, so there's a three-litre, six-cylinder engine that Jaguar is now producing in the engineering. So what's engineering it going to go into? Well, Everything? they are not saying at this stage. No. It will, well, of course, it's, part, it's the... <laughs> no, that is... <laughs> we think we're pretty safe to say that in Jaguar's a single and only electric car will not be getting their six-cylinder petrol. Oh. Um, but... Interestingly, it looks like they're also doing um, that, in, that block cut in half and doing a 1.5. Well, they also three. need to do a four-litre V8. Come on. This okay. is it. All right, one step at a time. Sorry. It's not a cheap process to develop an engine. No, it's not, especially when you just lost uh, 3.4 billion pounds. Okay. Well, Although it was a bit tricky. Yeah, okay. Well, the engine plant did cost a billion pounds, yes. $1.8 yes. million. Dollars. So finally, we're getting into the interesting stuff. Now, this engine will probably uh, supersede, um, sorry, succeed a the V6 supercharged petrol, which is going lots of things at the moment, including the F type um, and also of course we're talking JLR so there's Land Rover Range Rover products as well which might get this engine at this stage they're saying it is going to be available with two power outputs 265 kilowatts and 294 kilowatts that second figure is the most significant here because that is the current peak power output that the V6 supercharged engine makes so is this one turbocharged it is turbocharged it's right. well hang on right now you oh, you just give me all right cues here Scotty yeah. oh my god now I'm getting into oily bits this is brilliant <laughs> um, it is turbocharged but it's also supercharged the supercharger is an electric supercharger ah uh, okay so it's like the Merc engine 
Precisely. Yeah. So um, the supercharger in the V6 form at the moment is wonderful because you have that immediate torque mm -hmm. of a super, supercharged engine. Um, the turbo is will be inherently a little bit laggy, but the electric supercharger will fill in the, the gaps, and so you'll have an engine, hopefully, Jaguar says, as responsive as its supercharged V6. And that will be running off a 48-volt architecture, will it? Indeed, yes. So it is a mild hybrid as well. So it's got a 48-volt subsystem um, that will be doing the whole starter generator system, okay. uh, and that may or I think that's going to give you a little bit added in torque as well from an electric point of view as well. Well, that makes me very happy because we've all driven the E53 here, and the E53 engine is fantastic. I love it. I love it. It's got instant response and such a big torque band, and most turbo engines fall, start to fall off towards redline. Yeah. But this has a big kick at about 6,000 RPM. I drove that engine and went, if this is the future, sign me up. So the question is, is that why are people seemingly returning to straight six engines when V6 has been the thing for so long? I know in Mercedes's case, this thing wasn't anything to do with like the historical precedent of the C36 AMG or anything like that. It was purely an economic decision mm. because they can build a modular six and four. I think from that's that probably family. the case. Yeah, you just keep um, adding two cylinders on the end to go, you know, three, four, five. I uh, say three, four, six, or eight. But almost accidentally, they've built these fantastic yeah. engines that enthusiasts mm. love. Because a straight um, six engine is good because it's inherently well balanced. I think it's the, I'm not an engineer, but I think it's the most balanced sort of configuration yes. naturally of its kind, which is why it was popular back in the day, I think. Yes. And, you know, they, and they, they sound pretty good and, yeah. yeah. There have been some great straight sixes. Absolutely. There really have. So that's a probably a good point to introduce uh, my question to you two. In fact, no, let's do this a different way. I was going to ask you what your favourite straight-six engine from the ages is. Mm. But instead, I'm going to guess. I reckon okay. I know which are your favourite. And this is, I'm dropping this on you yeah, now. Yeah, you, I've yep, not okay. prepared it. Right, okay. My guess for you, Andy, is that it is the BMW M88 or S38 engine. For those of you who don't know engine codes, and I fully under, uh, believe if you don't, because we're not all sad and geeky like us, mm -hmm. that is the engine that powered the BMW M1 and mod uh, versions of it in the original M5 and M6. That is a fantastic engine, and I did consider that engine. I also considered the S54 in the That was my CSL. second choice for you, yes. Yeah, um, I love that engine. you got the uh, RB26 in the Skyline, yeah. and the 2JZ in the Supra, both fantastically overbuilt things but i think my favorite engine is is a bit of a left field one um straight six is the ajp6 tvr oh, speed six oh. that is a left field choice um, yeah because uh, that was their own engine it yeah, wasn't a designed, engine. designed by al melling who imported all of the valve gear that he designed for the 1991 suzuki gsxr 750 mm -hmm. bike that oh. technology um the finger follower valve actuation which was actually a real fault in that one safe finger follow um, again that yeah there's, there's been a there's been a third party that put bucket and shin valve train on there to make it <gasps> well you really are work. getting yeah well oh, oh, it's all, all too much for me yeah. I mean, just a whole say bucket and, bucket and shims again but, but, Andy. yeah that's that's the one i'm going for um the tvr ajp6 okay what's your guess for me dan you're a very simple one to Am predict I? yeah obviously 2jz yeah, good one. I mean, it's not as simple as that because it could be RB30 being a Nissan Skyline owner. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aussie, good Aussie straight six. Uh, RB26 is tempting, but yeah, it's got to be the 2JZ. It sounds insane. Yeah. Thousand horsepower and stock internals. Um, yeah, just anyone who fear. Listen to a 2JZ, you can't help, can't help but fall in love with it. And, uh, you know, we're coming full circle again because, of course, the Toyota Supra it, it will get a yes. straight six, and that is a BMW engine. It is. So yeah. we've come, once again, I'm just going to say Hakuna Matata again. You know, it's Hakuna just, Matata. It's just the way of the automotive life. Yes. 
Uh, we're very nearly out of time, gentlemen, but there is one thing I would like to discuss before we depart and air out the very gamey, badger-set-like recording studio. Um, Andy, last week you took delivery of a new long-termer and was instantly was, were disliked by everyone in the Bauer Media offices. Was it a Suzuki Jimny, Andy? No, was it was it was it a, a sensible Ford Focus three cylinder? Well, was I it tried... perhaps a posh car, like maybe a, like a Jaguar XF or something? Well, or I, maybe... tried, I tried for the Suzuki and I tried tried for a Hyundai and they all turned me down. Um, so in the end, I, w- I was forced to approach McLaren, and <laughs> oh, poor fella, he still his arm snapped behind <laughs> his thank back. God, well, how much they had thank to God, twist. there's one motoring journalist out there that has the gumption to. Report on the yes. real-world ownership yes. of McLaren. I've taken one Thank f- you, Andy. I've taken one for the team, and I'm taking delivery of a McLaren 570 GT. It's a quite fantastic thing. I've got that for a few weeks. Um, it, How many I, weeks have you got this car for? Um, I struggle to calculate that, but quite right. a few. So a number of as weeks. As many as possible before yes. McLaren okay. come with the SWAT yes. team to his home. It's okay. this lovely colour. It looks like um, that Holden GTS. Tiger Mica, yeah. Tiger Mica, that's the colour, oh. you know. And instantly, you know, half of our audience will be imagining this wonderful car and then just be instantly turned off there. The Ford people thinking, oh, my God, it's Tiger Micah. Mm. Be like imagining, you know, Margaret Thatcher whilst you're having sex or something. <laughs> um, but Doesn't it, everyone? It, yeah, it's an amazing thing. Um, and I'm justifying it purely on the basis that it's got a luggage capacity of 220 litres, which is three litres more than the new Toyota Corolla. Amazing. So and that's practical. from that, that uh, inventive little hatch yeah. behind the rear seat, the yeah, front seats. Yeah, but people do hate you. Like, I was, you were talking earlier about the I Integra. And um, I was driving along this morning, and uh, I saw a guy in a DC2 Integra. And I thought, oh, that's such a cool car. So I pull up alongside him in the traffic, give him the big thumbs up. And he thinks I'm the most condescending bastard <laughs> in the history of the world. And I, looks at me like, mate. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in a way, he's right. Yes. <laughs> Absolute Sorry. bastard. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, to Andy Enright and Scott Newman. Thank you for joining me again. It's uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. If you want to catch up on any past episodes of Witch Car Weekly, of which there are now six, you can do that on our website, uh, witchcard.com.au. Uh, if you haven't caught any of the episodes of Witch Car on television, Channel 10 on Sunday afternoons, 4pm. Uh, and, of course, if you want more of us yammering on like this in a studio together about all of our favourite things that we didn't have time to get round to in the working week, then you can tune in again next week. Until then, my name is Daniel Gardner. Thank you so much and drive safely. Toodaloo.